Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Exploring Antinatalism podcast, a podcast all about the subject of antinatalism created by antinatalists. My name is Amanda Oldfans-Sukunik, also known as Forever Wolf Films on YouTube, and today, Mark J. Maharaj, Carlos Cardoza, and I will be speaking with the founder of Vehement, the voluntary human extinction movement, Les Unite. So thank you, Les, so much for being here with us today. How are you? I'm doing well, staying alive. <laughs> all right, awesome. Um, all right, so um, the first sort of set of stuff I'd like to ask you is just like some basic, you know, vehement history. Um, obviously, vehement's been around a long time, uh, much longer than a lot of, um, you know, the forms that modern antinatalism is taking. You've, you've definitely seen uh, anti-procreation move and shift in the world um, in a way that I think a lot of other people have not. Uh, you've had a unique perspective on uh, the development of the anti-procreative world, uh, what have you. So um, I was wondering if you could just um, give us a, like a, just a, a little rundown, first of all, just sort of what the history of vehement is um, and when it began. Sure, yeah. I, I don't consider myself the founder. I'm the finder because it was here. It just wasn't named. So I gave it a name. Now maybe it won't get lost. I used to think right. that it was ancient, but uh, I read an article uh, saying that the idea of extinction is really pretty recent. Like even uh, Darwin wasn't sure about it. So uh, there have been uh, ancient texts saying that God is upset with us and is going to wipe us out. But that isn't the same thing as people saying, you know, we really should go extinct. You know, Schopenhauer may have been one of the earliest ones. So uh, the idea of the voluntary human extinction movement grew out of my interest in uh, zero population growth and the environment. And they were saying everybody should stop it too. Well, it's clear we should stop it once. No, none at all. And all of the uh, population awareness movement since then have always said, uh, be sure you don't have more than replacement level, which is of course a myth, mm -hmm. or uh, consider having none or one. So they're, they are making progress, but none of them are going to be foolish enough to say, you know, we really got to stop completely because they got to have some support, you know. Right, exactly. So you, so for you, sort of the um, antecedent to yourself would be the zero population uh, growth movement, you, you would say, before, yes. you be before BMN began? Yes, that, certainly put me on the right track, sense. but uh, but I could see that uh, you don't need to add up too much multiplication and uh, exponential factoring to see that stopping at two when our uh, population growth has so so much momentum that uh, that will not bring about zero population growth for a very very long time, which is why the organization changed its name to Population Connection. Right, that they could see it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Just to clarify, would like 1991 be an appropriate year to sort of set as perhaps year one of vehement? Is that correct? That's the year that is out there a lot. It's because that was the year that I first published These Exit Times. Right. I've been uh, promoting voluntary human extinction since the early 70s, but I just called it the human extinction movement then. And, mm -hmm. and it wasn't long before I realized everybody just imagines uh, suicide, mass murder, right. you know, that, that sort of thing. They still do, but at least with the voluntary in front of it, it's a little less uh, intimidating. And and it was just a happy coincidence when I put the V on there. I'm going, oh, it's vehement. We are. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering about that. That that that, that, that was a happy accident. Then it, it was it wasn't intentional. <laughs> yeah. So 1991. I mean, that is a long time before 2006, which is when uh, David Benatar published Better Never to Have Been. 
Um, so yeah, so you really have seen such an incredible um, uh, change and shift in the way that this idea is uh, processed in the world. Um, you often say, I've heard you say um, what you've just said, which is that, um, you know, this is not a new idea. This is an idea that has been around for so, so, so long and that it did get you often say it sort of it got lost um and i like that way of phrasing it because i i do also believe that very much that uh this is sort of an idea that there is evidence that it just it keeps getting lost over time um and why do you think that is why do you think that the you know the human race sort of comes to a conclusion these little this conclusion these little pockets throughout time um and then it sort of loses itself well, maybe we don't breed, so there's nobody left to carry on. No, not really. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the um, having a name like antinatalism or voluntary human extinction movement helps a lot because even Schopenhauer in his uh, writings, he didn't actually name it, not that I know of. And so we really need to identify it. And there are a lot of ways to get towards uh, antinatalism, the philosophy of it. Uh, and more, more and more of those are encouraging people to get there. Uh, the anti, uh, actually not anti, the pro-child-free movement mm -hmm. is, is growing as fast as, if not yes. faster than, uh, antinatalism. And I've, I've kept track of articles uh, over the years of uh, child-free uh, promotion. And, you know, I get one here and there. Here. Then about 19, in uh, 2018, it was just overwhelming and it hasn't stopped yet. They're just constantly articles about people who have decided not to procreate and why. And uh, now that we have the birth, birth strike, although, you know, they have a different take on it. But uh, the uh, young woman in uh, Canada who started No Future, No Children, uh, I think that's what it is. And <clears throat> anyway, there are quite a few of them who are saying we, we aren't going to procreate because the world doesn't look good enough, which is sort of a uh, antinatalist point of view. It's not exactly the same, but pretty right. close. What countries or other parts of the uh, this country, America, do you feel vehement has had the strongest support um, or stronghold per se? I'm not sure how else to phrase it. Are there any specific parts in the world that you see gravitating specifically to vehement more than anywhere else? And that would be really difficult to discern because uh, I hear from people who uh, tell me that they were a part of vehement for a, a decade or two, and I didn't know it. And I think that's the case all over is that people are uh, finding the website and going, yeah, I agree with that, but there's yeah. no need for them to you know, let me know. Now, uh, uh, there are uh, translations in quite a few languages, but that means that at least one person who is uh, speaks that language has uh, taken the initiative to uh, translate it, which is wonderful, but it is not an indicator of how many people in that region or who speak that language uh, are part of vehement. We're in, uh, there's a discussion group in Spanish and one in mm -hmm. French and English, but uh, I think that's it. Although they don't have to tell me, so how would I know? So right, I really right. say that any uh, one region uh, is more responsive uh, to the concept than another. I think there are probably uh, an equal number or pretty much proportionate number of uh, people all over the world who when uh, presented with the idea 
that if humans would just stop procreating voluntarily and we went extinct, then all the other species on the planet would have a chance to recover. I think uh, there's a huge number of people, I, I hear people agreeing with me all the time when I present it at uh, information tables. They say, yeah, you know, that's true. I mean, I still want to have one, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, I did want to say, I mean, it is a really, truly excellent uh, website, the vehement website. I mean, the, the, uh, the resources that you have on there um, are great. And I think they're not, um, they're not tapped enough by the rest of the antinatalist movement, really. Um, it is a great archive of, of uh, all the work that you've done. Um, and uh, it, yeah, I suppose that does, because uh, the way that vehement is run, if I'm not mistaken, there's no, there's no actual way to join, per se. You just sort of have it within your, uh, within your understanding, so to speak. Am That's I correct? Right. right. There's, no, uh, there's no membership. There's no, uh, there's no dues paid <laughs> or any, anything of yeah, that sort. Yeah, you know, I really yeah. hope nobody ever makes an organization out of it, because then they'll just right. have infighting, you know. I'm the executive director. Yeah, well, I'm the president. When would you say vehement was at its height? Do you think that was sometime in the past? Do you think that it's right now? Um, and how do you measure that? Oh yeah, it's, it's now, uh, yeah. but it's really hard to say it. It's similar to how many people are in what region, but I think it's now because of the internet and so many um, organizations or movements that are um, aligned with it. Now, it's kind of disappointing that the climate strikers and the uh, Extinction Rebellion have not come on board. Some, some have, but yeah. uh, the official um, messaging from them is that uh, to talk about human overpopulation uh, is immediately uh, racist and eugenics and uh, yeah. and on and on. How, how are you uh, finding it best to communicate with those groups? Yes, yes. Uh, individually, not with the group. They I, are, yes. They're anthropocentric, uh, pretty much. Uh, mm -hmm. The extinction that they want to prevent is human extinction. They're rebelling against human extinction. Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, I, when I saw, oh boy, extinction rebellion, yeah, I'm rebelling for extinction too. <laughs> but wait a minute. <laughs> We don't agree on this. <laughs> so uh, the, the extinction, they're concerned about the extinction of other species, but mainly because it will cause the extinction of humans. So obviously I'm not concerned about that, although it matters how we get there. So if we get right. there by a collapse of the biosphere, which appears to be uh, the way we're headed, then, you know, it, it, it does no good to, uh, at least fewer people would suffer in that time, but we won't have prevented it from happening. Right, exactly. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk more later on in, uh, in what we have planned uh, about sort of where people put that marker as far as who or what <laughs> uh, various groups or different types of antinatalist thinking, where they place that marker on, you know, what, will, what they wish to go extinct. And that does vary significantly from, uh, from, from antinatalist thought group to antinatalist thought group. Without For question. sure, yes. Yeah, um, huge differences. Um, this might be a bit of an obnoxious question. I hope it's not. But um, have you ever considered writing like a book about vehement? Um, your experiences, perhaps even just a um, compilation of of the newsletter. Oh yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. I'm uh, compiling a lot. When I retire, uh, mm -hmm. I intend to uh, really focus on it. Uh, while I'm still working, it, it uh, prevents me from 
doing the uh, the focused, you know, you really have to get it all in your mind at once, mm -hmm. uh, although it's too big to do that, but uh, at least sections of it, and then put it all together in a cohesive uh, manner. So yes, I'm uh, the, uh, the working title is Fresh Hope for Planet and People, Voluntary Human Extinction. Okay, I love that. All right, I'm really excited to hear that you're doing that. I was, I was, I was hoping that um, that that was in the pipeline for for what you uh, are working on. Well, I was going to ask you about this a little later in the interview, but since you you brought it up just a, a little bit ago, um, I am fascinated by the information tables that you do, and you've been doing them forever. Um, I wasn't sure if you were still doing them, so just to clarify, you you do you do still do those? Oh yes. Uh, wow. Unfortunately, the my favorite one uh, was just uh, canceled uh, mm -hmm. due to concerns about the virus. It was uh, I, I've been going every year for 26 years. Uh, sometimes I'm on panels there. It's called the Environmental Public Interest Environmental Law Conference, and it's at the School of Law at the University of Oregon. It's one of the biggest in the country uh, environmental law. Uh, conferences, which is why they decided that too many people coming together from all over the world is not a good idea at this time. And since then, lots of, uh, lots of things have been canceled. I, yeah. will, I intend to go to street fairs, and those might not be canceled since they're outside and people can maintain their physical distance. Mm -hmm. How many, I mean, I, I'm certainly not expecting an, an actual number, but I mean, how many do you think you've done over the years? Oh, it probably averages uh, three or four a year. Okay. And uh, what, 20 years? I don't know. Wow. I don't, I don't know how many I've done, really, because sometimes uh, but we had a, a climate strike here uh, by the high school students, and I'm a substitute teacher, so I took the day off to uh, have host a table at that. Uh, they called it a climate circus? No, I, I forget what they call it. But anyway, after the climate march and across the bridge from City Hall, there was a, 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 a party, carnival-like, and I had a, a, a table there. That was really interesting because most people had never heard of it. it a lot of young people. And, uh, and of course, they're so on. Yeah, well, that would be a good idea since we don't have much of a future as it is, do we? <laughs> Yeah, I think you're increasingly speaking their language, the language of the of, of the young people today, without question. That's um, right. I mean, generally, what ha, do you feel that at those tables, the um, the reaction that you're getting is is vastly different than the reaction you were getting 20 years ago? Is that changed no. significantly? No, it's about the same. Okay. People have different reasons uh, slightly, but uh, no, my delivery has changed a little bit, but not much, and. Uh, People are really receptive to a non-judgmental and uh, positive, voluntary uh, idea. They can take it or leave it, and mm -hmm. uh, you know they. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I've been at uh, a lot of different ones, but it didn't matter whether it was an anarchist book fair or a, a place where people are mostly um, middle class with their kids and strollers, and the, the reactions are pretty much the same regardless of uh, the demographics. Okay, interesting. I mean, has, have you ever, in the 20 years that you've been doing this, have you ever done like a vehement tour of the country or perhaps anywhere outside of the United States? 
Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm a substitute teacher and I, it gives me uh, extra time to yes. do these things, but it doesn't give me extra money. I did get to go to Portugal because they invited me and, and paid my way uh, for a conference uh, forum on the future, they called it. And uh, that was really wonderful. That was a peak experience. I was in over my head. Those people were, uh, you know, professionals in their in their field. And here's me, you know. So it, it was really wonderful to participate in that. And I'll, I will, whenever uh, an organization requests me and will pay for my trip, uh, I'll be happy to go there. But how long ago was that, that you went to that event? That was November, 2017. Oh, okay. Not too terribly long ago. No, still fresh in my mind. Um, I think in, and I could be completely wrong, uh, but I hope I'm not misquoting you, but I think in a previous interview, you said that there were children that were members of Vehement. Um, is that true? Oh, sure. You know, you don't have to be very old to figure this out. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in uh, 1992, there was an article in the Reader's Digest saying how, how awful vehement was. And uh, I, I met a woman about 17 years later who said, you know, I read that when I was seven years old and I thought, yes, and I still do. So, you know, <laughs> how, how old do you have to be to figure out that if we weren't here, rest of the biosphere would have a chance to recover? Well, that, that is, that is it, because certainly you're right. I don't think it takes being very old or knowing very much at all uh, to come to these conclusions. Um, but I also think that um, how to talk to children about antinatalistic ideas is, a, um, is definitely a, co a conversation of interest amongst antinatalists. And I think that, um, I think it's a harder conversation to have for a lot of other forms of antinatalism, because a lot of other forms of antinatalism are, more extinction based across the board. I mean, you know, ethelism per se, you know, per se, which is, or sentiocentric antinatalism is about the extinction of uh, all species. Um, so these conversations get a little bit more difficult to have with children. Um, can you, can you sort of give any pointers, I would say, on how to, how to speak to these, uh, to children about these ideas? Well, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, the way I present it is to say that we can uh, better take care of existing people, existing children included, if we uh, stop making more of us. And that's pretty much it, you know. We can also, this isn't an ethelist uh, um, thought, of course, we can also better take care of the wildlife and stop uh, taking away their uh, wildlife habitat, taking away their homes for our homes if there were fewer of us instead of more of us. So those are the concepts that children can uh, get behind at any age. Now, if you wanna say, well, we're, we really should wipe out all elephants and everything that you, you love because they suffer. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to lose the children on that one. You'll lose me on that one. So I want to talk a little bit about the word antinatalism. Uh, I know we've certainly discussed it a little bit previously. Um, but, you know, as you know, antinatalism is uh, this word that kind of came up at some point. Uh, it is still not a, a, an official piece of language in any English dictionary. Uh, it does have a very sort of strange history um, that I think people are still attempting to chart. Um, when was the first time you heard the word antinatalism? And what is your personal understanding of the history of the term? Yeah, um, I don't know when it was, you know, maybe 20 years ago. A friend of mine was working in a school as a sign language interpreter. And he said, 
have you heard of uh, antinatalism? And he had the book uh, Confessions of an Antinatalist, which was written by somebody in our town. And I hadn't. <clears throat> it's Jim, Jim Crawford. Yes, mm -hmm. correct. And uh, of course, I tuned into it right away. It's like, yeah, great. Um, somebody, uh, another philosophy that uh, will uh, promote not procreating. I don't care why somebody doesn't procreate as long as they don't procreate. Do you consider yourself an antinatalist? And if so, um, is it a term that you were hesitant at all to, to uh, ad uh, adopt? Uh, it's something I agree with. It's not something that I am. I don't, uh, uh, it's not my identity, kind of like mm -hmm. anarchy. Sometimes I say, oh yeah, I'm an anarchist, but really I agree with anarchist thought. Uh, it's not, uh, none of those philosophies are my identity, but uh, I definitely agree with uh, antinatalism. I've yet to see a cogent argument against the philosophy. I've seen right. a lot of people try and they've never yeah. succeeded. How, in your opinion, did the appearance of antinatalism and the term antinatalism change vehement, if at all? You know, I think most of these uh, ideas are things that uh, join people rather than people joining them. If uh, you present the concept of antinatalism to somebody who'd never ever considered it, if they already have an, a leaning to that perspective, they'll say, yeah, okay, sign me up, I go along with that. But if it's a, a hardcore natalist, you probably won't get much um, traction on that. Um, in fact, natalism, I, we should talk about that because that's yeah. what we're up against is natalism. Right. It is so deep and in, deeply ingrained. Uh, births are an unquestioned good, period. Mm -hmm. It permeates all societies and that's what we're up against. Yes, without question. Um, it's a Evidently, the word natalism, when did you first hear that word? Because I am trying to figure out how old of a term even that is. Yeah, I was using pronatalism uh, at uh, the information tables in, uh, in the, the law conference uh, one time. And uh, Nina Paley uh, mm -hmm. was with me and she said, natalism. I said, oh yeah, you don't need to say pronatalism. So that's when I started saying natalism, but I don't remember how long ago uh, I uh, identified the concept of we should procreate. That's good. Okay, interesting. Or maybe she, maybe she unintentionally coined the term. Um, we'll definitely talk about her, her movie in a little bit, which I love, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you for not reading. Yeah, she's fabulous. Um, in your opinion, if you could have your way, how should antinatalism be defined? Well, I guess we have to define it as uh, being against natalism. Just, you know, people can take it any way they want after that and be ephilist and uh, they have uh, anthropocentric. No. Um, anyway, there are various forms of it, but basically it is against the idea that births are good and in favor of the concept that we have no right to bring someone into the world where they are not suffering, suffering where they are, but they will suffer when they get here. And you can take it from there. It's kind of like vehement, it's simple. We stop breeding, we go extinct. Of course, from that leads to all kinds of philosophical ideas and questions. As antinatalism has developed, uh, and as the anti-procreative world has developed, I would say especially over the last 10 years, um, I, 
I would say that there is um, that it has often moved away from really any sense of environmentalism, uh, which of course is is uh, is a humongous, tremendous piece of what vehement is about. Um, do you feel uh, a, a, a sense of disappointment that that's happened? Oh no, not at all. Okay. No, antinatalism. Uh, is specifically, it is one major route to the awareness that we should go extinct. And so is uh, concern for the environment, uh, concern for non-human animals, concern for wildlife, uh, concern for humans. Uh, all of these are routes to uh, the concept of humans voluntarily going extinct. And uh, antinatalism is, how, however people want to define it, you know, that's, I'm not disappointed in that. People have different thoughts. That's the way it is, the way the world is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's more than fair. Um, what do you consume as far as uh, the world of antinatalism? What are your circles that you, that you uh, are active in, in the yes, antinatal well, world online? Yeah, I, I try to listen to this uh, podcast called Exploring Antinatalism. Uh, Interesting. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Les. <laughs> no, I, I don't uh, promote uh, antinatalism specifically. Uh, uh, and I don't even get into very much, um, just think of what a horrible world we're creating for you. And if you give somebody a birth, they're going to die in it. I try to keep them as positive as possible. And even though I agree that uh, life is suffering and we shouldn't bring somebody into it, when I am presenting the concept, uh, that, that is not the first uh, place I go. If they want to go there, that's great. I'll, I'll go along with them. But I don't like talking about how we're going to hell in a handbasket and uh, we shouldn't put another baby in the basket. It's just too negative. And... Uh, even though it's true, it's not necessary. I really like to talk about what a wonderful world it'll be when there are fewer of us each day instead of more and we can provide for everybody's needs and we won't be taking uh, nature's habitat for our habitat and it could be a wonderful world. So you must find the Facebook groups rather rather horrific then. I do, absolutely. Yeah, they are. Yes, especially, you know, people applauding this new virus, you know, oh boy, boomer remover, you know, I, I, had, to, I had to laugh at that one because I'm a boomer, you know, and I am in a very uh, susceptible, uh, my job, uh, of course, school's closed now because of it, but, um, you know, in my age, I'm 72, and uh, if I do get it, I'm in the high mortality uh, range. Uh, I don't see death as a positive uh, at all. Um, we'll get there soon enough. There's no sense pushing it along. It's not ever going to make a difference. Yeah, I agree with you tremendously. I, I really do hate that strain of the conversation that uh, applauds every natural disaster and every disease and every awful thing that befalls uh, an infant or a parent. And that's, it's just, uh, it is a toxic element of, um, of this anti-procreative community that we're all sort of enmeshed in in one way or another. And right. um, it, it's, it is hard to know how to deal with it at, at some points because uh, it, it is a very loud voice within our community. Yes, you know, it could be uh, whistling past the graveyard. Uh, I think a lot of times people put up a, a front like, uh, like that when uh, really they have a, 
a more serious fear of death than uh, people who don't. It's just a, it's, yeah, it's a bad, bad, bad time. Um, the students that you interact with, do they know that you are the head of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement? Do you, do you speak with them at all about that? I don't. I, I have always kept it completely separate, almost secret. But mm -hmm. uh, a couple of the uh, AP environmental teachers have shared uh, my video with Tucker Carlson, uh, where yeah. uh, <laughs> poor guy just couldn't get it. And uh, so they do that because it brings up ideas about exotic invaders and, uh, you know, human influence. And it's a, it's a good dis discussion starter, even though it's only like five minutes long. So mm -hmm. I can heart, I, I uh, have to say, well, yeah, okay, but <laughs> you can go to the website and find out all about it. I don't need to tell you. So it, it, I think it, uh, of students as a uh, captive audience and yeah. uh, anybody who, who goes in trying to change their minds, well, in high school, <laughs> the students will just won't stand for it, but uh, they're too hip for that. But no, it, it's unethical. It's unethical to speak with them about it. You think? Yeah, in your in your position. To, yeah. Yes, for me yeah. to try to convince them that they, they should not procreate. Right. Absolutely. No, I know where you're coming from with that. You just spoke about the Tucker Carlson interview, which I have watched many times. Actually, it is. Uh, it, it is quite. Um, it is. It is. It is quite a video. It's um, funny. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Um, but yeah, no. So I mean, I I I think that it really. You really deserve the credit, I feel, um, that I, I think you have done more radio, more television, more articles, more web uh, appearances, uh, what have you, uh, in the public eye talking about your version of, of, uh, of anti-procreation, anti-natalism. Um, probably than anybody else in the world. I think, I think maybe the only other one that rivals how much media you've done on this subject is maybe Theophile de Garo in Belgium. And of course, Raphael Samuel. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've, if you've got, if uh, he's got you beat. Um, it, it's, and you've taken an incredible amount of shit from people. Oh, it's um, fun. That don't take them seriously. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just, you, you take it in amazing stride. Uh, I mean, you've probably been told to kill yourself more than on national television, <laughs> more than any other antinatalist in the world. Um, and I really would love to know how you deal with this. And for so long, uh, and you always do it in the most calm, collected, cool way. And it's, uh, it's just very admirable. Well, no, I, you know, I, as a teacher, I have, uh, grown to uh, consider the process more important than the goal. And so when I'm talking with somebody who says, well, why don't you kill yourself? I treat it as if you're the first person who has ever said that to me. And I give them an answer. I give them a, as good an answer as I can and, and uh, acknowledge their concern. Although really they're trying to, yeah, well, if you hate people so much, why don't you just kill yourself? But yeah, I don't have to take it that way. And I can turn it around into something more positive. It's a, it's a challenge, but I enjoy it because of that. Well, it's, I, I mean, that's an amazing attitude to have about it. And yeah, it, it, it definitely shows. Um, as I've said, you've probably done more of this media than anybody else I can think of. Um, and I, I just am very curious how you've managed to attract so much media attention over the years. What is your secret? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the main reasons is that there are uh, people on the uh, right who really want to find somebody that they can use as a punching bag and show just how wacky those environmentalists can get. And so I know that going in. 
and then I try to turn it around and get my idea in there. I think a lot of people are wise not to go on these programs because that's all they want. They know that's what they want to do. And uh, I, I've seen some really it's unfortunate uh, Tucker Carlson and, and some of the others really have beat up on some people who, who weren't, uh, weren't, I don't know, prepared for it. Maybe they need to have a friend um, insult them and, uh, you know, really give them a, a bad time uh, until they can finally take it. You know, as a substitute teacher, I, I have received some, um, a, a little abuse, you know, not, not as bad as the myth goes on, but uh, it has caused me to look at the person, not at their behavior and identify why are they doing that now with these right-wing uh talk show people it's obvious why they're doing it they they want to keep people watching and they want to get their point across they want to own the libs and uh i am i'm their target and uh it's it's okay as long as you don't take it too seriously and you don't uh internalize uh their ignorance yeah that's that's excellent advice um so basically what you're saying is being around children has made you the yes. perfect antinatalist. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So very interesting. Okay. Children are the way. I get it. Um, uh, Mark, did you want to ask anything? Yeah. Well, when I heard about uh, the organization not having a board of directors and stuff like that, what was the reasoning behind that? Uh, you're, you're speaking of the voluntary human extinction movement? Yeah. Yes. That's because it's a movement and not an organization. I've seen organizations in the past come and go. There was one uh, called the National Organization of Non-Parents, and they were doing okay, and they had a newsletter for a long time, and then they got into an argument over who was in charge, and they were uh, at each other's throats on the board and who had the authority, and the next thing you know, it was all over. Yeah, uh, organizations do have that issue. Um... How are you able to organize with a with a group though, without no a structure? Yeah, no, there's no need to organize. Uh, I have uh, information tables quite often, and anybody can do that, and I'll help them do it. Uh, a lot of people are just uh, sharing the information um, among their their friends and so on. I think uh, person to person is the best way to share the concept. I don't know what we would do as an organization. I mean, there are already organizations that are working for reproductive freedom, which is a very important aspect of um, voluntary human extinction. We can't uh, encourage people not to procreate if they don't have the wherewithal not to procreate. Well, we don't need to do that. You know, Planned Parenthood International, Marie Stokes, there are, there are quite a few organizations that are doing that. And uh, your social media, when it comes to like, you have a Facebook group, right? There is a Facebook group, yes, that I'm not on it. There's actually several of them. And do uh, like other people manage that? Yes, they do. There's one that's not managed. Okay. I was just curious how that's run without uh, structured management, but cool. I, I believe Theophile de Garo is the, is the, runs the, uh, the French one, if, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. So anybody can do it. You know, start one up and there you go. I was just going to ask, like, do you take in donations uh, to do tours or anything like that? Yes, but I have to make sure that I don't take in more money than I spend. If I did, I'd have to start doing taxes. I don't want to do that. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Do you, have you ever considered doing like a Patreon? Because you can, I think you can set a limit to what you take in at the, on that site. No, I, I don't, I don't need money. I, you know, um, I'm just not interested in, in that aspect of it. We, uh, mm -hmm. I, I get uh, money for the bumper stickers that covers buying more bumper stickers. And uh, I think it it's, works out just about right. Yeah, I had a question about the, uh, you mentioned Extinction Rebellion being more concerned about uh, humans not being extinct. What do you, what is your take on the environmental contingent of the vegan movement? Uh, that's, uh, that's as good a, a reason as any. Uh, vehement, uh, vegans kind of like uh, vehement or antinatalism. There are a lot of ways that people can go. And uh, I don't think it matters why whether it's for their health, for the environment, for the animals suffering that uh, goes on in uh, any of the above. If someone chooses to give up eating meat, they're doing a good thing, I think, as far as uh, all of those things. So um, I don't pick and choose if somebody wants to do whatever they feel is right. Are you personally vegan? No, I'm a vegetarian, but I limit the lacto-ovo. Okay. Are you vegan? I am. I'm skeptical of using the word sometimes. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, right. The, the movement is, uh, I don't know where the movement's going, so. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, plant-based diet is what some of my friends use because they're not vegan. They're, they just don't eat uh, animal products. Yeah, I, I thought about using the word plant-based, but I, I, I am in, I'm concerned about the treatment of animals. So if I said I was plant-based, it still doesn't take into account, say, circuses and you know, right. other yeah. ways of exploiting animals. So right. um, I think I am stuck with uh, calling myself a vegan for now. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm a vegan. It's okay. We can be, <laughs> I don't think any less of you. <laughs> but the other thing is like, not all, like some of the vegans are okay with procreating, right? So um, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Yeah. To, well, it's I sort think... of like, it's sort of like antinatalism, right? We're all like, we're all kind of stuck with each other, but we believe vastly different things. And we're, we're, we, but that kernel of an idea in the middle of it is we all share, but yeah, everything else surrounding it is a mess. <laughs> you both, you yes, both talked right. about the, the coronavirus, right? And some people were calling it like a, what was it? A boomer remover. And yeah, right. um, at the same time, if you look at Benatar's work, he, he argues uh, multiple cases where, or multiple places where, death is a harm to a person and this is not a good thing and that's part of the human predicament um so we should not be happy when people are you know dying yeah i think they have a different perspective uh on it they're thinking fewer humans good period so i think you know if you uh are an antinatalist because you are opposed to suffering then you certainly can't applaud uh, a virus that comes along and, and kills people have you seen anybody do that in um, the vehement uh, community? Uh, on the vehement Facebook group, but not uh, not everybody in that is uh, a vehement or it was uh, put open to anybody uh, so that people could discuss it. And uh, I'm not the moderator of it anymore. I, I would probably just shut it down if I were. Yeah, so I mean, part of the reason why I was asking about like your, your, you, your very admirable, again, ability to sort of take criticism, to take, uh, to sort of be a punching bag for uh, this 
group, you know, for the right, the alt-right, as you said, that, um, you know, does give you a platform on their, on their uh, shows and whatnot, um, is because, I, you know, the vast majority of antinatalists that I know of really any description, whatever type of antinatalist that they are, um, there's a tremendous amount of fear about talking about this subject in public at all. Um, a tremendous amount of fear. The vast majority of antinatalists that I know, um, if they make a YouTube video, they take down their YouTube video. If they uh, post somewhere about it, they take down the post about it. They're terrified of speaking in public uh, in any given circumstance about this subject. Um, and that's why I've always felt like with you and with vehement in general, like activism is definitely, to me, been one of the strongest components of of um of what vehement brings and i and i wish that more of antinatalism like took cues from what you're doing um you know and and uh and took some of the the bravery that you show um so it's a bit of an obvious question but it's a question i'll ask nonetheless i mean why do you think there is so much fear in the antinatalist community yeah i don't know i mean maybe it's the way they're presenting it uh i mean uh, yeah, well, we nobody wants to be an outcast and uh, lose uh, their community. It's a very important human need. Uh, but if we present our ideas with respect, uh, find a way that uh, people can understand it uh, and don't be too aggressive about it, which would be threatening, and then they would, you know, get, get return the favor. Uh, I don't see how anybody could really uh, hate somebody for having a different idea. Just have to um, present it in a, in a way that uh, is, um, well, you know, if you present it online, you're gonna get all of that stuff, no matter how you present it, you, yeah. you know, it's just part of the deal. So if somebody can't uh, take that, if they are very sensitive to it, then they shouldn't do it. But in person, if you're just talking with somebody and they say, well, yeah, I identify it as an antinatalist. I just don't think we should bring people into the world because they're, you know, probably going to suffer. Guaranteed. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good insight. Um, I don't know what to do about it. I really feel like it is the, um, next to natalism, the fear problem is one of the biggest, um, stumbling blocks for any version of this movement. The fact that people are so afraid uh, and, and won't talk about it, um, I think is, is, is one of the things that, that uh, may damn it in the end. I don't know. Do you feel similarly about that? Or? Uh, they, they need to um, figure out who they're talking to. So if you're gonna talk to your parents about it, you have to start off by saying that you're not blaming them Although the guy in uh, India who did and, and sued his parents or tried to, was thrown out of court, tried to sue his parents for bringing him into the existence without his permission. But uh, you have to let them know, as I did with my parents, uh, let them know that it's not them. It's not that you had a bad childhood. It, it's that uh, you're thinking of the future. And in the future, I, you know, you don't think that people should um, create more of us. And then they, they don't feel threatened by it because uh, most people when they're trying on a new idea, will try it on themselves and go, oh, wait a minute, you're saying that I am a bad person for giving birth to you? 
So you don't you want to get that out of the way first, and that's probably true with even people that aren't your parents. You know, just uh, well, especially if they've already procreated, you, you don't want to tell them what a horrible thing they've done. Yeah, I it, it, you spoke a little bit about this previously, the, the information booths that you have, which again I'm I'm extremely intrigued by, and it's something that I would I would like to do. Uh, myself, actually, I, I really would like to move to a more, um, not off the internet, uh, but I want to do more live activism for the subject of antinatalism. Um, so if somebody is interested in doing a booth, um, I, I don't know that I necessarily would do a booth that vehement specifically, but um, can you give any, any pointers about how to start that kind of endeavor and if somebody was interested in, say, doing a booth about vehement specifically, do they come to you? Do you help them set that up? Uh, the first thing they need to do is to go to the vehement site where there's a page on outreach. In fact, it's called outreach.htm. And they will get all kinds of tips on how to present the concept. Uh, and they can take it, take it or leave it as much as they want. And uh, if somebody wants to apply any of those uh, ideas to an antinatalist uh, table, I think that'll, that'll work too. Uh, I try to uh, limit the discussion at our information tables to vehement. Uh, I've had volunteers who were vegans who wanted to promote that idea. And, uh, you know, some people were offended and, and I'm going, no, this is not what we're about, please. Uh, <clears throat> so if uh, somebody's main agenda was antinatalism and they were a volunteer at the uh, vehement table, I would, uh, I might bench them for a while until I can say, look, you, you can't be pushing that particular idea uh, as the main thing. Okay, yeah, interesting. Although I have to say, I would love to do that. I'd love to like do some sort of booth or some sort of some sort of thing like that, where you have a representative from like the four corners of the anti-procreative world, so to speak. Like you have a uh, vehement, you have child-free, you have uh, antinatalism proper, and then you have a more um, ephalistic, sentiocentric, or just full anti-natalist perspective um all would in make one a place it make a great panel or a table if everybody could be there at the same time although the visitors would probably be overwhelmed yeah they probably would be but i think it would be incredible i oh, I, yeah. I i hope to see that happen in the future yeah um just sort of a meeting of the anti-natal minds um you know in some sort of public space i really think that needs to happen at some point yes yeah i'd love to see that uh, this, Carlos, oh, sorry, Les, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say this conference that uh, uh, was canceled, if it's uh, in again next year, they uh, offer people the opportunity to present a concept for a panel. And they are um, really open to uh, different ideas. Well, obviously, because I've been on uh, several panels and they're not, um, they don't shy away from uh, controversial ideas. And it's, it is likely that uh, a table, a panel discussion uh, presenting the concept of antinatalism would be accepted. And then there's an audience and there's, it's usually uh, 15 minutes of Q&A afterwards and they last uh, about an hour and 15 minutes. So it's a short time, but I, I, I'd recommend it. 
Um, I just wanted to know your thoughts about Raphael Samuel. He was the uh, the young man in India that threatened to sue his parents and created a humongous international um, media storm around the subject of antinatalism. Nothing of that sort had ever really happened. Um, what was that like for you, witnessing? Oh, that was great. I always love it. Just love to see that sort of thing going on. And uh, he put together um, uh, child-free. Uh, antinatalism and vehement uh, all together into one. I see no problem with that, you know, mix and match them however you want. And of course, his parents are attorneys and he knew he was never going to win the case. And uh, they were they were on good terms through the whole thing. And uh, it, it was thrown out of court and the uh, court threatened him with uh, a fine for bringing frivolous matters to the court. But that doesn't matter. They got as you say, international attention. It really sparked an interest in a lot of people. And who knows how many of those people uh, went away thinking, yeah, you know, come to think of it, he's got a point there. <laughs> so I think it was wonderful that he did that. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, I, it was really like nothing I'd ever seen. Um, I do think that it, it does speak to the value, in my opinion, of um, an, an artistic approach mixed with this subject in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm curious to know what you feel, if any, is the value of an artistic approach as far as vehement and antinatalism goes. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's very important to include art and humor and uh, philosophy, mix all of it together. You'll appeal, appeal to more people that way. If, there's, if they are more uh, interested in art, and you've got some art, and you entered that uh, door into their mind into their subconscious. And uh, it also makes it a lot more fun for us if we can mix in uh, humor, art, um, philosophy, all of the above. Are there any um, vehement creators that we might not know about uh, working in the internet or off that you'd like to tell us about? Um, I don't know of too many uh, vehement YouTube channels, although there are a few. Um, but I'm always curious to know of, of, of active members of Vehement and what they're doing. Yeah, I am too. Uh, as far as uh, the artists, I, maybe they're intimidated by uh, Nina Paley's uh, artistic creations and, and contribution. You're going, oh, I can't beat that. But she's, uh, she's moved on to uh, do full-length uh, animated uh, musicals and has you know, become rather famous in her own right well she was before but now really um we're still using she gave so much of uh, her artistic talent to uh vehement that i'm using it uh i'll continue to use it but uh, i i don't know of others who are doing it so i've been running these meetups on antinatalism here in london uk and i noticed that um you know i'm happy to just meet other antinatalists and have a chat about various concepts and kind of try to learn more about it and see other perspectives. But there's lots of people who come in who uh, come to the to meetings with strictly kind of activist intentions, right? So they just get there and they, you know, they say, you know, we need to end procreation, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so I'm trying to find kind of the best way to direct these people and, and, and kind of give them tips and give them ideas on things they can do although I'm also interested in some of those uh, ideas. Uh, to be honest, a lot of them come from a vegan background, so they kind of have kind of the, the, the history or kind of the, 
the um, practice of being vegan activists, which, you know, vegan activism has, has gained a lot of traction these days. Um, I'm a vegan myself, but um, I, I haven't engaged not nearly as much activism as these uh, guests I have at my meetups. So what would you say to them is like the, uh, I guess the best way for them to do activism considering, you know, they live in a big city like London. Yes, that is a, that is a challenge. A lot of people uh, see what's wrong with the world and want to fix it. And they don't have a lot of patience with it. They, you know, want to do it now. Um, they, I've seen people in the uh, population awareness movement come in and they're saying, you know, Les, I, I see what you're doing here, but I don't have that kind of patience. I, I think the time is running out. We got to get busy on this. And a few years they're going, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. You know, they've, they've burned themselves out because, you know, you've got to be patient. This is going to take our lifetimes and more probably to, uh, it's a process. And the first thing I would ask them to do is to give up and not think that they're going to make a difference. And then they can begin making a difference. Okay, that makes sense. Good. Thank you. So, so Les, I'm, 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 you know, kind of in the same age bracket as Amanda, I think. And uh, I've been online since 97, right? Which kind of sounds like the prehistory of, uh, of the internet. And uh, it was actually through your website that I decided to not breed. So there you go. Yay. I read it. I read it. I would say, I think I found it in like 2000. Uh, I would have been like 22 or 23 years old. Uh-huh. And uh I was living in Portugal at the time. So there was no antinatalist resources whatsoever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so all the antinatalist resources I had was basically reading a Schopenhauer in my local library. Um because books were expensive, right? And uh um, right. and I found the website and uh then I decided, okay, I'm gonna get a vasectomy. <laughs> Yay, one less human. Yeah, exactly. Well, a few, I guess. I don't know. Maybe yeah, what, really. What, I, no way of knowing. Less 1.5 or whatever humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it's average. funny how these things work out, right? Sometimes yes. we, uh, we, do, we do things which, you know, we think are not having an impact, but, you know, there's somebody somewhere that came across, you know, a podcast maybe, or an information booth or a flyer. Yes. Yes. And it kind of it, just got them it, It's really good to hear that. Because, uh, you know, you, you go along and you, you don't know how much impact you're having. But I have had people come to the uh, information booth at street fairs. And uh, one guy uh, came with his wife and he said, you know, we, we uh, saw you here a couple of years ago. And I just wanted to tell you I got my vasectomy. And of course, I gave him the Meritorious Service Award for, for doing so. And uh, his wife had read the chart that I have, uh, Why Breed, offering reasons, uh, alternative for breeding. If, you're, if you want to do this, well, you could do this instead. And she said it, it suggested that she uh, become a big brother, big sister, whatever the version is in other countries. And um, so she turned her uh, desire to take care of children into being a big, big sister to uh, a needy child. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And that's uh, wonderful. Th yeah, and th this week, uh, I don't know if you're aware, uh, the um, Portuguese language antinatalist group in Facebook has just hit 100,000 members. Wow, congratulations. I mean, that, that's a lot of people, right? That is. Goodness. That's a lot of people. So, yeah. And, and you know, these I ideas have impact. I've seen a lot of, of, of your um, material 
uh, on that group being posted but translated into Portuguese. Uh huh. So well, and uh, Brazil as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly Brazil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just uh, yesterday uh, somebody sent the. Uh, a translation of the first page of uh, the vehement website in uh, uh, Portuguese and so I uh, yesterday I converted it to HTML and, and posted it so there's a fresh translation of Portuguese uh, now on the vehement website yeah that's great that's, that's great. awesome I mean I mean you think about you know for example European countries I mean most of them have very low birth rates although you know obviously over over zero which is not good right yeah <laughs> but um, you know, you often think about the impact you can have. And if I, if I said, you know, if I'm going to do activism in Portuguese language, I would have much bigger impact in Brazil than Portugal, right? Portugal has like right. a 1.3 birth yes. rate, whereas Brazil is much higher than that. So, you know, we, you gotta, you gotta do, put, put, put our efforts where they have the most impact, I guess. Right. Well, that's, I think it's everywhere. Uh, even, even uh, countries with a 1.2, um, birth rate, uh, a lot of times they're still increasing. Uh, the momentum of, of population growth is such that uh, even though we are told constantly, uh, the country is below replacement level, we're not having enough babies to replace each other. That's what they're saying about the US. And really, you know, we are increasing, our natural increase is almost a million per year, even with 1.7 uh, total fertility rate. It's because of the momentum. There are we're having fewer, but there are more of us having fewer. So it, it still increases. All right. Um, so Amanda, I think the next section we had uh, was about the film. Is that right? Yeah, it's about or, the film. Yeah, it's about the film. I'll jump into that. I just wanted to make one comment just based on what you were talking about, Carlos, if you don't mind, um, just about how you know vehement was how you found out about this topic, uh, really. And I, I just wanted to just say how important that is and how how important people realize that that's the case for so many people because i think that as anti-procreation in general has developed over the last 10 years the conclusion of so many antinatalists of various descriptions is very far away from vehement um it's not environmentalist it's not it's often about sentient extinction um, it doesn't share the same conclusion. And I think for that reason over time, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, vehement has been sort of undervalued and underappreciated and underestimated. Um, but I think that it, it really deserves to be recognized what a important introduction uh, vehement has served like for so many people um, over the last, what, 20 some odd years. Um, I just think it really deserves recognition for that. I mean, there's so many people who would not have have come to these ideas at all without vehement. And well, thank uh, you very much, Amanda. That that is yeah. what uh, that's my life's work is uh, promoting yeah. vehement. So I uh, really appreciate that uh, those words of encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it it really does deserve to be um, to be recognized without question. Um, okay, so uh, we'll move on to the film. Uh, so what can you tell me about uh, the film, of course, is uh, Thank You for Not Breeding. It is a film project by Nina Paley. Uh, it is available on YouTube, and I will put a link uh, below. If Well, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, a link to the film will be below. Um, what can you tell me about uh, Nina Paley, and how did this uh, film project come about? 
Yes, she wanted to make a, a full-length film, and so she created this one in order to uh, raise money for it. And uh, that never happened, so she moved on to other things. But we are left with this, uh, I think it's 20 minutes long, um, uh, movie, which uh, stands on its own. Uh, Chris Corda gives, uh, uh, he's very passionate, sorry. They are very passionate uh, about uh, species extinction and uh you know it makes a nice little piece i uh i i think i was far too serious in it um i guess i was in <laughs> the way i was interviewed it was too serious i wasn't joking around enough but uh her uh cartoons are in there and i think the stork is my all-time favorite of of just about any way of presenting the concept of um uh, what we are doing to the world through our procreation. Yeah, the animations are incredible in that movie. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that you, um, it was such a striking contrast between your interview and Chris Corda. Um, and I thought the, I don't know. I didn't think you were overly serious. I thought you, your attitude made sense. Uh, that's just my impression. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, what, if anything, did the creation of this movie change for Vehement? Um, did it lead to a lot more people learning about the idea? And did it see any uh, festival play? Has it? Do you know if it played publicly uh, at any point? Uh, it probably did, but not that I know of. But that, that wasn't what it was for. It was a it was a fundraiser, um, and so we we did. Uh, you know, I showed it in uh, Oakland one time with to a pretty good. A couple hundred people, and uh, but they weren't really, you know, fund funding. It was a uh, it was fun to show it. Uh, Nina would have showed it, but uh, she she had taken ill that day, so that was why I um, hosted it myself. And uh, it, it the idea was that others could show it as well, and that it would finally get into the hands and eyes of somebody with some money who would say, "Yeah, I'll bankroll that." It's not a subject that really lends itself to uh, producers kicking in the money. There have been several uh, documentary filmmakers who have shot uh, video of me and uh, even gone to the table and, and done recordings there and then put it together to take two funders. And uh, they just never find somebody who's willing to put out the money, not yet anyway, uh, to make a movie about vehement. Well, I, I sort of have a feeling like that might change in the, you know, based on the kind of coverage that somebody like Raphael Samuel got and the level of, of media coverage that, you know, it's a different version perhaps of the subject we're talking about, but anti-procreation in general certainly is more in the public eye. And as somebody who has also made an antinatalist movie. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and just sort of watching how all that's developing, I do kind of feel like we might be on the cusp of, of something like that. And I hope so. Um, I think the movie could easily be made if it included vehement antinatalism, the child-free movement, yeah. all of these things together, instead of trying to make a movie out of just one element. And we now have, there's so much in the realm of child-free, and someone just did make a, a movie on that one. It was uh, To Kid or Not to Kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, um, that was 
just that one idea, but uh, yes, a movie definitely could be made of uh, all of the ideas combined. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that desperately needs to happen. Um, I hope that it does happen. I, I really would love to see that uh, that come to some fruition. Um, and yeah, there, there's more than one child-free movie now. I don't, I can't think of the names of them offhand, but yeah, that 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 uh, that area of, of the idea certainly has has seen so much, uh, so much. Yeah, I just think I just think it's bound to happen at some point. Yeah, and and I, I think all these strategies, if you will, or or kind of philosophies and ideas they do kind of overlap in some way, but they, they have completely different optics, which help uh, strategically. For example, uh, in women's magazines, you do get a lot of articles about child-free, uh, where it's presented as a sort of a neutral thing. Uh, yes. But if you were to put an article on voluntary extinction <laughs> in a women's <laughs> magazine, I think it wouldn't be as neutral as a child-free article. I did one. <laughs> I, I did. I was in. Uh, I was in Refinery Twenty Eight or Twenty Six, whatever the hell it is. That's that's a woman's magazine. I was talking about antinatalism. All right, that's it's cool. possible. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I uh, I'm just going to say that for the reader, if the reader is you know reading something about antinatalism and the, and the perception is, look, this will give you more time. You know, don't have this pressure to have kids because just other people tell you you'll live your life. And get, you know, have a career, etc. It's different from we should uh, wipe out humanity, right? Yes, right. right, right. <laughs> exactly. It's very different optics right. and it's kind of for a different audience. Right. Kind of, whereas, for example, for the people who, uh, who I was telling you about who show to my uh, London antinatalist meetup, there's a lot of vegans and, and their kind of intro to it is more of, I would say, your perspective less, where they say, you know, Earth would be, be better off without humans. So, um, you know, if there were no more humans through... Um, not procreate, procreating, then, you know, the animals would have their habitat back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, so, and we wouldn't have uh, all the, the livestock, uh, domesticated animals and, and so on. Yeah, those right. species, I guess, domesticated species would go extinct. We can go back to wild species where we kind of kind of preserve themselves, et cetera. So, sure. so I mean, th there's all these different optics with, I would say, a similar end goal. And uh, so to me, it makes sense to, to kind of... Uh, coordinate efforts, if you will. Good, me too. Um, I want to talk, just ask two questions sort of revolving around the, the Church of Euthanasia. I hadn't really realized that you and Chris Corda of the Church of Euthanasia had had such a, such a disagreement and some beef as far as, um, you know, how the message was being delivered to people um, until I watched the movie. Um, I did, I did love, uh, uh, their um their interview i i think i think certainly uh they said some very interesting things that i appreciated some of which i completely disagreed with too of course um but i just i'm just curious if you are still in communication with the church of euthanasia to this day um and what you think of what that group has become and how it's developed oh yes I, i'm still in uh, contact with uh, chris we never actually got to meet i would love to have have met them uh, and uh, they're pursuing music more, and uh, I, I think they have been uh, per, um, co collaborating with somebody who wants to make the movie about the Church of Euthanasia, which I think would be so wonderful. It was such a phenomenon. You know, any group that, when they show up at a uh, 
a, a protest where anti-abortion and pro-choice people are, and both groups want them to go away. Now that's that's classy, really. Uh, as far as the uh, disagreement on presentation, that that was not that was really no big deal. Uh, Chris thought that uh, vehement was too. Um, uh, what do you call it? National Public Radio style, but that's that is the style that I uh, intentionally uh, use because it's a contrast between uh, an idea that most people would find anathema combined with a very pleasant uh, presentation. I think it's more. Uh, I, I think it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is this sense in the movie that both you and Chris Corda are so public and so out in the open, public demonstrations, performance art. It's like everything that I've dreamed of for the last 10 years. Um, and maybe that's just, a, you know, the effect of the way the movie sets it up. But, um, and I, we did talk a little bit about this previously, but why do you think antinatalism isn't quite as, as open? Um, that that so much of that sort of went away it just seems like both of you uh both groups sort of hit a moment in time where um that was that sort of publicness with this topic was possible in a way that it just seems not to be right now well i have to give chris the credit for that he he just uh, he and his uh compadres including vermin supreme uh, got together and brainstormed how to do it, and they just did it. That's all it takes. Somebody has to do it. I mean, you have to have the idea, too. I mean, going to a, uh, a sperm bank and uh, committing spermicide on the front uh, steps of their building, I mean, that's just pure genius. And, uh, of course, <laughs> I don't think it made the newspapers, <laughs> but anyway, people just have to do it. Get together. And uh, Carlos, your, your group where they want to be active, uh, ask them if maybe they could think about uh, some way that uh, attention could be brought to the idea in an artistic way. And uh, maybe, you know, get together on a brainstorm about it and uh, figure out something. I don't know if it'd be uh, along the same lines as the Church of Euthanasia. They were really big on outrage. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. We, we do have. Um somebody who makes uh, antinatalist YouTube videos in public, who's got a bit of uh, notoriety at least. Uh, but yeah, there's more things we, we definitely want to do. And, uh, and, you know, within reason, no publicity is bad, bad publicity, right? Yes, right. The, uh, the, I think the person I, I, uh, you might be talking about uh, has a, a speaker and uh, harangues people about it and, until they uh, in, engage with him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Danny it's Shine. Danny that's Shine. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, uh, when he started, he wasn't talking about antinatalism. That's a concept that he came across, I'd say, I think about a year ago. But he's just taken to that, like a fish to water, and he's kind of, you know, in the middle of busy London streets going, why do you want to reproduce? <laughs> Is there yeah. anything special about you? <laughs> and people get very upset. Oh, of course they do. My genes are great. What are you talking about? <clears throat> but uh, but he's uh, he's very he's been doing this for years, so he's very calm, I guess. So ah, that's, yes. That that's his trait. He just uh, just faces people and just kind of tries to make a joke out of it. Yeah. 
So, but you know, there's other other things we want to do. Oh yes, yes, there is your imagination, yeah. the only limitation. But I think it does have to be fun, or you will be burned out on it in a short time, and it will uh, be an unpleasant experience. You need to make sure that it has heart, and it's fun, and uh, you're um, not making people feel bad. So uh, maybe now it's a good time to talk about um, the future of voluntary human extinction movement. Um, so do you think uh, there's, there's been like a, a lot of talk about antinatalism recently? Has that impacted uh, your movement as well in terms of hits and uh, kind of engagement? Not that I know of. It's possible. Uh, you know, I haven't checked the statistics for the website in uh, a month or two. Uh, but it's always held pretty steady and then has a peak whenever I, you know, get to be on Fox News or something. But uh, uh, I, I can't say that I have seen uh, any change. Okay. Uh, recently, there, there was a book published by a British author called Patricia McCorm McCormack. Have you heard of her? Oh, yes, yes. And I thought, oh, human boy, somebody beat me to the punch. I wanted to publish the vehement book. But her book <laughs> is entirely different. The, the excerpts that I've been able to read, uh, it, the, the world is big enough for, for both of our books. Oh, absolutely. Actually, we are going to interview her in about a month from now. Oh, good. Do you have any, right. anything you'd like to ask her? Uh, I'll send it in if I think of it. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, I'll definitely let you know closer to time where, uh, that Carlos is going to be interviewing her. Uh, we'd love to have questions from you for her. That'd be great. Um, okay, uh, so moving on to some of the future vehement stuff. So sentiocentric antinatalism is, has vastly become more and more of a thing over the last 10 years. Uh, forms of antinatalism that extend to all sentient life. Um, and there are certainly, there's certainly been a lot of resistance uh, as just as much as there's been a lot of people that are that side with that view. And I sort of get the impression that, um, that when people reject a certain, a certain amount of the sentiocentric antinatalism, they're siding with a kind of vehement attitude. Um, and I don't know, I, I, just, I just am curious if you have seen uh, some evidence that, that there's sort of a renaissance of, of vehement happening where there are people that have sort of rejected a more sentiocentric view and are more consciously saying that they've rejected it and wish to uh, adopt a, an antinatalist view like vehement that, um, you know, wishes for the animals to inherit the earth, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yes, I, I have not. I have not seen that at all. As far as uh, it, it could easily exist, though, I don't, you know, I, I don't have uh, an insight to what uh, a lot of people are thinking, but as far as vehement goes, it goes in uh, waves. And right now I'm about the end of a wave of media interest based on a, uh, an article that I wrote for the Guardian's uh, weekend magazine called Experience. They did change a few words, even though it's all written in first person editors, you know, they have, they feel they can do that. But, um, from that, then uh, a lot of other media, you know, they're always looking for something to put between the ads. And so they, uh, I got quite a bit of uh, interest out of that. And it's about over. Like, uh, the last, well, there's this one, <laughs> but that's not why you didn't contact me because of the article in The Guardian. But uh, 
yeah, it it uh, goes in uh, goes in phases, and I don't consider that uh, an indication of how well the movement as a whole is doing. That's just the ups and downs of media attention. I see. Yeah. No. Uh, but I have read the Guardian article certainly, and um, oh, good. yeah, and it did. It. It. Uh, can you tell me about a, a little bit about the media attention that that article um, got you recently? Oh, you know. Uh, I'd have to go to the website and uh, and see. It's uh, oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I just I'm I'm sorry. I just more meant I know that uh, you recently on Fox News, and if maybe you could speak a little bit about your Fox News engagement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, uh, he was just your your very typical. Um, I mean, I don't know where they clone these guys. He's uh, he worked for Bill O'Reilly and. Uh, I guess he figured he could be a, another Bill O'Reilly. I don't know, but they—they're all pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, uh, he's like Tucker Carlson, like two point oh, five point oh. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, they. Um, so I knew what was gonna what he was going to ask. Although he did ask a new one that he I hadn't. Uh, you know, they always had these gotcha questions and. Uh, so he said, uh, you know, do you have siblings? And I told him, well, I have uh, 7.8 billion siblings. No, no, you know what I mean. So uh, <laughs> he says, do you have any biological siblings? I said, yeah, I got four of them. He said, well, which one would you, do you wish hadn't been born? You know, there's, there's a new gotcha. <laughs> so I told him I was really happy that my dad got a vasectomy before he had any more because it was hard enough to take care of five kids on a teacher's salary. So he moved on to another one, you know, oh, didn't get him on that one. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it was funny. Yeah. They act like you haven't heard all this before and haven't been doing it for 20 years. It's, you know, actually the very first thing he started out with was a version of why don't we kill your show. Kill your show. I noticed <laughs> you <know>. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you saw that one? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. It's always, it's always around the corner somewhere. They're yeah. ready to slip it in. Like it's some genius, uh, you know, I, I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's free space on the bingo card. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so depressing. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <clears throat> Well, out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on the right to die? Well, I think everyone has a right to die. Yeah. Um, they, uh, we need to uh, have better mental health care so yeah. that uh, not as many people as uh, do uh, kill themselves do because a lot of those are, it's a temporary uh, situation that uh, they just can't find help with. Um, the last one I, knew of, uh, they tried to contact the suicide hotline and were referred someone else, somewhere else because they were in another state and they just didn't get the job done. And so they, uh, they went ahead on it, or, um, 16 years old. So I think uh, even though the right to die it is uh, just a basic human right, uh, we, we still need to help people who are struggling. It shouldn't be in the top 10 causes of uh, death. Do you have any big plans uh, or invent or events uh, that you have in mind for the future? No. Okay. Just the, uh, just the tables, the information tables. That's pretty much it. We don't have get togethers. Right. Okay. Um, what do you think the next five years, 10 years, what does the future hold for uh, vehement and antinatalism, but vehement specifically? Yeah, I think an increasing awareness, uh, especially among young people, as they um, 
put th put uh, more and more together. Uh, they are uh, becoming well aware of the future through the climate strike and uh, also Extinction Rebellion. And if they are not going to see much improvement, and I doubt they will, then it's going to become clear that uh, procreating is not going to help the situation and they can spend more time trying to make the situation better if they're not uh, spending at all uh, raising an offspring. Uh, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about the subject of wild animal suffering and the, and the uh, sentiocentric antinatalism. Certainly, I mean, I know this is the biggest disagreement that we have as far as the sentiocentric antinatalism and vehement. It's a, it's a, it's a humongously different perspective. Sure. Um, that I know that you've been, I mean, you, you were, uh, you and Ed Mendham did a, did an interview together, um, on Vloggerdome, which was my old show that I did with Gary years uh -huh. ago. Um, so I know that you're, you're aware of this perspective. Oh, yes. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so the biggest difference between uh, most of modern antinatalism and heffalism, sentiocentric antinatalism and, and vehement is that, um, vehement wants the animal the, the human beings to go extinct the biosphere to recover and for the animals to uh inherit the earth so to speak um and sentiocentric antinatalism ethylism antinatalism proper some of the time uh wishes for the animals to also go extinct um i am uh an ethylist i am a sentiocentric antinatalist i do believe that it would literally be the worst tragedy the most villainous ethical misstep um, of human beings if we allowed ourselves to go extinct before the animals. Um, they have no ability to um, protect themselves. As awful as human beings are, as much as we've failed, as much as the carnage that we have created, we are the only thing in the universe that, ha that we know of that has this possibility of doing what I feel to be the right thing, which is in, in some uh, ethical, peaceful manner, trying to come up with a plan of how do you save animal life? Um, and by saving, I mean preventing more of it and allowing the spe other species that, that are capable of uh, suffering just the same way we are, um, getting them out of the situation of life. Um, I feel, I can't help but feel a responsibility to that end. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I know that's a lot. Yes, yeah, it is. Yes, yes. <laughs> you apologize. Know, you know, uh, we didn't, uh, Gary and I didn't have a chance to pursue it, you know, but um, his position was that 99% of the suffering happens in the, in the natural world. But I, I really agree, disagree with that. I know suffering is hard to quantify, but it seems to me that most of the suffering in the world is by humans or caused by humans. Like, there's no species that suffers like a human. We'll, we'll suffer in anticipation of something bad. We'll suffer when it happens. Then we'll suffer maybe the rest of our lives because it happened. No species suffers like a human. So um, uh, in the non-human animal world, domesticated animals suffer their whole lives before they're slaughtered for food. And if we weren't here, all of that suffering, and it's huge, any vegan can tell you how uh, the numbers on how many non-human animals are domesticated and uh, have miserable lives just so that we can eat them. So if humans were gone <clears throat> and the 
uh, domesticated uh, animals that we use for food were gone, I think the suffering in the world would be uh, less than half. Now, in the rest of the biosphere, a lot of what we perceive as suffering is really anthropomorphizing. And we, we focus on, uh, you know, the, the lion takes down the antelope and starts eating it before it's dead. <clears throat> okay, that's horrible, but we don't like to see it. But that's how evolution has worked since it emerged billions of years ago. A couple hundred thousand years ago, a uh, furless ape comes along and says, oh, I don't like that. You know, it's more uh, an example of uh, human, the mentality of human domination to think that we know what's best for the natural ecosystems that we uh, came along, evolved out of, and saw it. And now we go, oh, we don't like that. They are suffering. Well, that's my take on it. Well, but we are the only thing that's capable of, of doing that. I mean, I, we can recognize that the process of evolution doesn't have a real plan. It doesn't, it doesn't have uh, an intelligence. It doesn't care how much we suffer. It doesn't care how much the animals suffer. Um, it's not some intelligent design. Uh, and I think that we can recognize that and we're the only thing capable of recognizing that. And I, I suppose what I would say is that I think there is a mistake in um, devaluing suffering that is different than ours uh just because they can't have animals can't have the same anxieties that are typical of or, and, and, and forms of suffering that are typical of human life um their worst day on earth is still really really bad their their ability to perceive uh their suffering is still there's i believe there's every evidence to suggest that it's just as catastrophic to them uh even with their, you know, their, their, their lower intelligence. Um, and I just feel like it would be an incredible mistake to devalue that suffering just because it is not um, identical to ours. It is still, it is, it's still suffering. Yes, it's not identical uh, in that it's not as much. They, uh, they do eat each other and get eaten, but most of their lives is not involved in that kind of activity. I think my main objection is it's not our call. We, we think we're so smart, and yet look at what we've done. And it, it, is this the species that has the right to decide what happens to the rest of creation? I, I don't think we are, that's kind of a God complex that humans have. That's, that's what I think. Now, now, I don't mean that you are wrong. I'm just saying I have a different perspective from you. No, I understand. Um, and I, and I, I mean, I, you know, I, um, I don't take any of this lightly and it's, and it's certainly, uh, you know, we're talking about things that, uh, if they go, if they go wrong, they could certainly create a lot more suffering than, uh, than is really imaginable. Um, but I, I do feel that we owe it to the animals to, I mean, I, I let me ask, let me ask, let me, propose it this way. Say we were to create a plan where in some way we were able to extinct the animals and then come up with a plan to extinct ourselves. And there's just this empty rock floating in space with nothing on it. What would really be the harm? There was nothing harmed in the process of eliminating that potential for suffering uh, sentient wide. Um, there certainly is a lot of, you know, we, as we're living and contemplating such, such things, there's certainly a lot of sadness involved. There's no more art, there's no more animals, there's no more humans, there's not any of these things that we value in life. Um, but there's also the, num the amount of suffering is at a zero. 
is that really a bad thing? Is that, is that, is that a tragedy that, do you feel that's a tragedy at that point? What would be the harm um, in getting to that point? Because it will happen anyway. And I think that's the biggest thing here is that we, it isn't up to us ultimately. We, we all will go extinct. Um, and perhaps human beings should be taking a little bit of responsibility of what that's going to look like and how much suffering there's going to be. Yes, it will happen eventually, and we will die eventually, but that doesn't make it okay to kill us. Uh, but the responsibility part, humans are responsible for a lot of suffering on the planet. And if we take care of what we are absolutely responsible for, instead of looking at uh, a system that some of us think is, uh, it shouldn't happen, uh, I think that's, that's all that we uh, are entitled to do. It's not our call basically. We, um, we haven't exactly displayed the, the greatest uh, intelligence. I'm sure we are smarter than yeast in Nevada beer. We just haven't shown it yet. And for, for this uh, species, us, to think that we know what's best for all of creation, uh, I think uh, shows a lot of hubris. And as far as what's the harm, uh, you know, I don't think you can quantify the harm involved in causing the extinction of uh, the, the few uh, 20 million uh, species that, uh, well, we're, we're getting on that anyway, and we are making it happen. But uh, I, I think that we have no right to do that. That's basically my position on it. So the only force that has a right to extinct us is nature itself, you believe? The sun, yeah. But then why, why do we have the right to extinct ourselves then? Well, it's voluntary. Uh, we, uh, we can think about it and realize that we are the only species that is causing all the other species to go extinct. And we can say, you know, this is not right. We shouldn't do that. Let's stop doing that. We are more cognizant than a virus. All right. Uh, well, you know, you know, certainly we have disagree uh, a major disagreement there, and uh, respectfully so. And thank you for... Uh, for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, Makes an interesting podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Les, you've, you've given us a, a tremendous amount of your time, and I really do appreciate it. I don't want to take up uh, any more of your time. Certainly, we could talk about wildlife suffering and sentiocentric antinatalism and how vehement disagrees with, with this uh, all day long, but I won't put you through that. <laughs> um, well, I so, don't want to put our listeners through that either. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think we covered it. I think we covered it. I think, I think we don't need to do any more of that. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Well, you know, the, the main, my main uh, promotion uh, these days is uh, against natalist culture, which uh, the patriarchy is uh, working overtime to uh, enforce. Uh, preventing people from uh, not procreating when they don't want to procreate. Right now, natalism is enforced mainly by the patriarchy, especially here in the United States, and it is spreading all over the world, preventing people from having their reproductive freedom. The, uh, the right to not procreate is severely restricted everywhere, and I think that's a, a really serious uh, problem for human rights. That's it. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Uh, that's a very important point. 
So, uh, well, Les, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today. Les, I really do admire you so much. Um, thank even you, though we, Yeah, thank you. Uh, even though we do have some rather large, fundamental, different views and conclusions. Just one. Just, yeah, just really, it's just one. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really, it's a big one, but yeah. it really is just one. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> regardless of all that, I think all of antinatalism um, has a lot to learn from your bravery, your fearlessness, uh, and your tenacity in all the years you have dedicated your life to this cause. Uh, cause. Um, thank you, and I appreciate you. I really, really do. So thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Amanda. This podcast was made possible through the generous donations of other antinatalists during our The Prevention of Unnecessary Harm fundraiser. So on behalf of everyone working on the Exploring Antinatalism podcast, thank you for making this show happen. In our next episode, we will be speaking with the creator of Ephilism, Inmendum. So if you have any questions for Inmendum that you'd like asked on the show, please reach out to us on any of our social media sites or leave a comment below. Once again, this has been Old Fan. You can find me at Forever Wolf Films on YouTube, as well as keep up with my daily antinatalist news updates at Antinatal News on Twitter. Please follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come chat with us on the Rogue Philosophy Antinatalism Discord, and email us at exploringantinatalism at gmail.com. This podcast can be listened to on our YouTube channel, Exploring Antinatalism Podcast, as well as Buzzsprout and iTunes. We also have a new website, still under construction, www.exploringantinatalism.com. Podcast artwork donated by the incredible Life Sucks. All the best, and bye for now.